Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're supposed to be preaching about the Kingdom of God. We're supposed to be seeking the Kingdom of God. And we're supposed to be seeking the righteousness of God. And I'm here to tell you that most of the people claiming to be Christians are not doing that. As a matter of fact, most of the people claiming to be Christians are under strong delusion. And we should have expected that. And some are expecting that while they are already under that strong delusion. So we're going to preach the kingdom. We're going to preach it like John the Baptist preached it. And we're going to tell you a lot of things that you weren't expecting to hear. At least many of you who are not regular listeners may not have been expecting to hear. But you're going to need to hear it anyway. And some of you are not going to like it. And some of you are going to be amazed. Now, recently, uh, I was able to listen to the Ron Paul's farewell address in Congress, which uh, is a timeless statement to the American people. It's a, the kind of statement you might have heard a uh, hundred years ago or more from men like Davy Crockett or Thomas Jefferson or Patrick Henry. But it was given in another time. When this country has taken serious changes, and not for the better, but for the worse. And we're not really a political movement trying to change the governments of the world. We are trying to change the hearts of the people, because until the hearts of the people change, governments will not change. Now, why are we even talking about the government? Isn't this a religious program that talks about the Bible? Well, the Bible talks about government. Talks about government from the beginning to the end, from Cain's first city-state to Nimrod's new world order to Pharaoh to Caesar to uh, Herod to Jesus Christ and John the Baptist preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all about government. Why do you think government was persecuting the Christians officially under men like Marcus Aurelius? It was because they did not participate in the world, the constitutional order and systems of government that men set up for themselves that were contrary to the ways of God and the ways of Christ, that made slaves of men, made men human resources, merchandise. That's what the Bible is about, delivering you from that. And the only way you can be delivered from that is to put on the character of Christ, to start doing things the way Christ would do them, the way Jesus would do them, the way Moses would do them, the way the prophets would do them. But unfortunately today, Christians are preaching that all you have to do is believe. They don't really define what believe is. They just believe in Jesus. They don't really tell you who Jesus was and what he was saying. As a matter of fact, they say you don't even have to remember what he said. Just believe in Him. If you're not doing what Jesus said, then you don't believe in Him. And your faith is a lie. And you're not saved. And you're under a strong delusion. Which is where most Christians are. Hard words. But I say them out of love so that you will repent. 
so that you might be saved. That's why Jesus came, so that you might be saved. Now, why did I mention Ron Paul at all? Because I noticed that in after reading his speech, I went down and the first blogger underneath his speech started his blog or his blog comment with Preach It Brother. And that's really what he was doing. He was preaching it. And you really, if you listen to Paul carefully, he has said many times that it wasn't government that he thought was the solution. But by running for office, he was able to get that bully pulpit where he could talk to the people. He said over and over again, and if you go on our website, you can see a whole article written about this. You can see it at newsofviews.com. You can see it at hisholychurch.org. It's called Plan B. Paul knew that he might not win. And he talked about a plan B, another thing that you would do. And really, plan B is plan A all along. It has been from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Plan B is plan A in God's eyes, in God's ways. He starts off restraining aggressive behavior is one thing, but legalizing government monopoly for initiating aggression can only lead to exhausting liberty associated with chaos, anger, and the breakdown of civil society. The fact that he put the word anger in there is really critical. Anger is a product of non-forgiveness, of non-love, of judgment. You can't be angry without judgment. Permitting such authority and expecting saintly behavior from the bureaucrats and the politicians is a pipe dream. Here's a politician talking about saintly behavior. We now have a standing army of armed bureaucrats in the TSA, CIA, FBI, Fish and Wildlife, FEMA, IRS, Corps of Engineers, and uh, he didn't mention it, but I've seen it in the Forestry Service, on and on and on. BLM, everybody. Armed men. Numbering over 100,000, probably well over 100,000. This is Ron Paul speaking. What's he talking about? He's talking about people controlling other people by force. Regulating every aspect of their lives by force. By control. Luke 16, 16 says, The law of the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God preached and every man presseth into it. Now that word presseth into it. What is that word? What, what is he talking about? Presseth into it. It actually appears one other place in the Bible. That particular word. It only appears really twice in the whole Bible. But the other time it appears, it does not, is not translated, presseth into it. It's translated another way. It's the, the word is biazo. And it has, you know, sources of that word that are very similar to uh, the word kingdom in the Greek. But the other place that that word appears is in Matthew eleven twelve. 
and from the days of John the Baptist. So we're talking about the same thing. They're just going to translate the word differently. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. That's the word. Violent take it by force. Every man are the violent taking it by force. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. Same quote. Just Matthew, we see the phrase kingdom of heaven. It's a quirk of translation because Matthew was written originally in Aramaic. Same thing. The kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. It is... That, that right stems all the way back to the garden when God created man. We are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And those rights are the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And they're even the right to give up your liberties. And men have tried to force a government on other men. Cain did it. Nimrod did it. Lamech did it. Rehoboam did it. It has been a common characteristic of man to control other men, to rule over other men. And this is what Paul, Paul, the Ron Paul, is talking about. And it's really what Paul the Apostle was talking about. It's really what the prophets were talking about. Are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? That was Cecil B. DeMille's in the movie Moses. That's what Moses was talking about. Are you free to make choices or are you going to elect kings that will make choices for you? Oh, no, we don't elect kings in this country. We elect presidents. I don't care if you call him a president or prime minister or what. If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. It's a king. You just elect him for every four years or every eight years. Or whatever your country does. It doesn't really matter. But these are your rulers. They are your lawmakers. They are your judges. Same as it was in the Old Testament. They, they always talk about the Old Testament that, oh, well, that was a theocracy. All governments are theocracies. All governments are theocracies because all governments have gods. Ruling judges who rule over them. You elect yours. When you elect yours, you're not electing God. You're electing somebody else. When they elected Saul, it was called a rejection of God. When you elect your leaders, it's a rejection of God that he should not reign over you. A theocracy is who rules you. Is it God, the Father in heaven? Or is it something else? You tell me. Who is ruling over you? So when Jesus in the Bible is talking about John the Baptist, talking about the violent take it by force, the violent tried to establish their governments by force, maintain their governments by force, until John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist doing that was so different? Luke 3, 7 tells us that it says, Then said he to the multitude that cometh forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Do we have a generation of vipers? Does that warning still take place today? You know, you got to remember that the, the Jews of Judea 
Most of them thought they were doing what Moses said, but Jesus said they weren't. Most Christians today think they're doing what Jesus said, but I'm telling you, you aren't. You would be bearing different fruit. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourself, We have Abraham to our father. Don't say to yourself, You have Moses. Don't say to yourself, You have Jesus. Where's the fruit? For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. People that want to talk about seed. Oh, we have to be descendant of Abraham. There you go. He can make children of Abraham from stones. There's actual metaphor mixed into there, but the fact is, it's not seed. It's not bloodline. It's those who were doing what Abraham was doing. And what was Abraham doing? He was leaving the governments of the world that ruled over people like Sodom and Gomorrah, then Egypt, and even Haran and Ur. He was doing something completely different. And we talk about it in the book, Thy Kingdom Come. But let's go on to verse 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruits is hewn down and cast into the fire. Are you bringing forth good fruit? I just heard a story about 18,000 workers were laid off because their business was closed down by people striking. I don't think that's a good idea. When I, I read that, I thought Atlas Shrugs. But the problem goes much deeper in whether or not that company could have paid the demands of the union. It goes deep into what kind of money are you paying them with? Millions and millions and millions of people have lost their homes in the last few years. They've lost their life savings. Every day the money in your pocket is becoming worth less and less and less. This is all a direct result that you haven't been reading the instruction book. Do you know the exact same things were taking place in Rome at the time of the early church? Runaway inflation. People losing their homes. Devastating famines. Dearths. Depressions. Whatever you want to call them. Were running rampant amongst the people. And then came disease. And then came earthquakes and volcanoes and wrath of God kind of stuff. And Rome fell. But we're much bigger than Rome. We never fall, right? We never collapse as a nation. We never collapse as a world order. We're headed for the new world order. They've got it all figured out. Right? It's just bigger. And you got VCRs and DVDs. And Blu-ray. So, I mean, this all can't all fail, right? Hasn't failed for you yet, has it? Well, actually, it has failed for millions of people. They picked themselves up, but now, where are they going to go? What should they be doing? Looking to the government more? What did, you know, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? No. Not going to happen. That's insanity. 
You got to try what Christ said. You actually have to do what he said. Don't just tell me you believe in him. Believe in what he said. He said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. You better figure out what the will of the Father is. Do you know what the weightier matters of Christ are? He told you. And then the people asked John, saying, What shall we do then? Well, hey, you don't need to ask that question because all the Christians today tell you you don't have to do anything. Just believe. You don't have to do anything right. Just believe. That's a gospel out of hell itself. That is a gospel out of hell itself. I said it twice so that you would hear it. Oh, you don't have to listen to what God said. You don't have to do what he said. You can do whatever you want. Go ahead and eat that apple. Of course, it wasn't an apple. It was the knowledge of good and evil. You can go ahead and do whatever you want. You're saved because Jesus died on the cross. How do you know you're one of those ones that he said might be saved? Maybe you're one of those that might not be saved. No, this is, I'm giving you both barrels here, folks. Luke 3, 11. He answereth to tell them what they need to do. And saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. What's he talking about? Do you need, do you need uh, unemployment? Do you need welfare? Do you need medical? Do you need a loan? Do you need help? Let he who has share with he who does not have. Now, those instructions weren't go elect a man who's got a big gun who can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's not in these instructions. That's contrary to these instructions. He's talking about charity. Live by charity, not by the sword. It's amazing how many socialists says, oh, I would never have a gun in my house. They don't need a gun in the house. They got the government out there robbing their neighbors. I shouldn't say robbing because their neighbors have all joined the same club. And it's legal to take from them, but still by force. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to contribute today. Too bad. You have to because you're in bondage. You're entangled again in the elements of the world. You are the dog that has returned to his vomit and the pig to his mire. And you're not a Christian because you're not following Christ. Unless you want a divine Christian as something else. Why do you go to church? I feel good when I go to church. It makes me feel good. I love the music. My wife makes me. Where the heck is Christ in that? You're going to have to do some serious, serious repenting, folks. And you haven't got a lot of time to do it in. People are dying. Everybody's facing death here pretty soon. We all are. The clock is ticking. Verse 12, then came also the publicans, what are those, tax collectors, to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? Why is they pointing out publicans? 
These are people who are government workers. They know that they're, they're putting this in a separate category because these aren't just the regular folks. These are the guys who are implementing the system that forces the people to provide the benefits of their neighbors. And they know that John the Baptist is saying that's wrong. He's not saying to give a monopoly of violence to a government to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. He's saying the opposite. So when the publicans want to become a part of this, they say, well, this is our job. What can we do? We're already entangled. The Romans are already here. And Herod has already run the system. And we've already been baptized by Herod. And we have to pay into his system. And John didn't have the way to set them free from that. But he was getting them prepared to make straight the way of the Lord. Just like in the days of Moses when they had to pay their tally of bricks. But they had to glean in the field at night for their benefits. They weren't going to get any government help. They weren't going to get any government aid. They were going to learn to take care of themselves. And it was really important to do that because famine was coming. And the FEMA of Egypt, the Pharaoh's Emergency Management uh, uh, Agency... (laughs) spelling Pharaoh with an F wasn't going to be able to help them as a matter of fact he was going to do a pretty poor job when things got rough and they were going to have to help each other and they did they learned how to do that they learned how to do that because they learned how the kingdom operated and Moses was teaching them and he had learned that out there in the desert and he brought the message back to the people This is what you have to do it. You have to take care of one another. You have to love one another. Yeah, that's what Moses said. Enough to gather together, not just in your little local congregation that makes you feel good, but with an international network of people who care about the rights of their brothers as much as they care about their own, who care about the lives of their brothers as much as they care about their own, who care about their brothers and neighbors, children, as much as they care about their own. It's not their little, I feel good and I love Jesus congregation. But it's really willing to see the kingdom and network together so that you can be there for one another in real ways. If you can't do that, then the kingdom of God is not on earth as it is in heaven because that's the way it is in heaven. Jesus always had trouble with the guys who say, wait a minute, I, I can't come right now. No, that isn't in the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is, I'm, I'm here for you, brother. I am here for you, brother. I am going to take the time to connect with you, brother, so I can be there for you when you need help. And I hope you will do the same because I want to live like John the Baptist said, like Jesus said, like Moses said, like Abraham said. I don't want to just do an altar call and then pretend I'm saved because I believe in Jesus. I want to actually believe in what he said and do what he said because I want to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So what are you going to do about that? How are you going to operate there? 
So, he said to them, what did he say to those publicans? What did he say to the soldiers? What did he say to these other people? Why did they list soldiers and publicans separate from everybody else? It's very clear he was saying live by charity, but he also was making straight the way of the Lord. And we'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk more about the Kingdom of God. We're talking about John the Baptist, who preached the Kingdom of God, was at hand. We're talking about how the publicans came to John the Baptist to be baptized. Publicans being not just tax collectors, but that was a major part of it, but they were the government workers of Judea. They actually worked a great deal out of the temple. There were a couple different kinds of them. They collected different kinds of taxes, excise taxes, tariff taxes. and I mean, you, you could be taxed on the use of the roads. You could be taxed on your property. You could be taxed on all these. Almost all these taxes are use taxes of some sort. And they were forbidden by Moses because they are usury. Use taxes are usury. And so the publicans were hearing what John the Baptist was actually preaching, making straight the way of the Lord, because the people weren't going the way of the Lord. They were going another way. And they needed to repent and turn around and go the right way. And the fact is, today, Christians need to repent, turn around, and go the right way, too. But they are not going the right way. They're going the wrong way. So we're going to look at some of these things that John was talking about and relate them to the history at that time so you can realize that you are going down the same historical path. And that is a path to destruction. So then came the publicans to him to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. In other words, stop being, uh, stop abusing. I have seen uh, government agents all around the world abuse people. They actually know, well, we know that he's got these deductions. We know they're reasonable and everything, but we're going to make him they actually have this attitude and they feel absolutely justified in making him uh bow down and do what they want and they will charge that, oh, well, we're going to disallow all his deductions, you know, like companies. It was actually a company, had all kinds of employees, paid all these employees, clearly paid them. Uh, they all filed their taxes. They had their 1099s and W-4 forms and all that stuff. And the IRS just came in and disallowed all that. Said, oh, well, you're not going to be able to deduct any of that. From what your business made. So now we say your business made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that you actually, we know, 
and the records are there, that you actually paid out to real people. But they did that just to make the guy squirm. Just to force him to the table. That's not, that's not what John the Baptist said. Now, you know, some of those guys think they're Christians. They're not. Because they're not exacting honestly. They are not acting honestly. They are abusing people. And, of course, people are reacting. But what are they doing? They're becoming angry. And we just heard Paul talking about this anger thing. And we know Jesus talked about this anger thing all the time. And talked about chaos. You know, people always talk about the New World Order. Let me let you know, the New World Order is not that orderly. It's very chaotic. Nobody seems to even know what the rules are. Exactly the same thing was going on at the time of Jesus. And this is why John the Baptist brings it up. And then the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Well, you can go to papers all over the country and read how there has been government abuse. Abuse by police officers. Now, I'm not saying all police officers are abusive, but certainly police officers do abuse. They abuse their power. And I actually wore a badge and a gun at one time for a living. And it's, there's always this great temptation because it's kind of an unappreciated position. Now, with me, it wasn't a big temptation to beat somebody over the head with a billy club because I was enraged with anger. But I have seen other guys get close to that myself. I've heard them talk about it. That they would become, they would... Do violence, not acting according to the law. And we see this time and time again. Why? Because there are hundreds, swarms of these officers everywhere, far more than you need, because something in our society has changed. I mean, I don't want all those officers to go away. I want you to start taking back your responsibilities. Start becoming the upright Christians you were supposed to be all along. But somebody said, oh, no, y'all, you have to do is believe. You don't have to actually tend to the weightier matters. And by the way, I don't even know what they are anymore. Like I told you, I told the story many times about in a room full of preachers. I asked them, what did Jesus list as the weightier matters? And there was hundreds of years of study in this room of the Gospels. And none of them could answer what the weightier matters were. And Jesus listed them off. And it was law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Law? Ah, but we're not under the law anymore. I, that is, it is almost hysterically funny when people say that. You're not under the law. And as we read more of from uh, Mr. Paul's uh, speech, we'll see how much under the law you really are. Anyway, in verse 15, he says, And as people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he was the Christ or not. Now, I know a lot of Christians are in expectation, but you know what you really need to be worried about? Whether you're going to be called one of those groups that are workers of iniquity that thought they were Christians doing things in his name, or whether he's going to say to you, Come into the kingdom, you good and faithful servant. You know, servants do 
They don't just believe, yeah, I work for so-and-so, but I don't actually do anything for them. I just sleep here and behind the haystack. I just kind of go do my own thing, but I'm I'm one of his servants, but I don't actually do my job. I actually had somebody today tell me that, oh, well, you know, if a servant, if you, if you keep the commandments, you're still... Uh, you're still this unprofitable servant. Even if you you can't keep the commandments unless Christ is in you, folks. The guy takes one little tiny quote out of there and disregards all the places where Jesus said, "If you want eternal life, you have to keep the commandments. If you love me, you keep the commandments. Those who love me keep my commandments." And all the places where Paul says to keep the commandments, lists them off. Thou shalt not covet. And you know, generally speaking, every single Christian church in the United States sends their people to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And who are these men? Well, Ron Paul talks about them. He talks about the immoral use of force is the source of man's political problems. Sadly, many religious groups... Secular organizations and psychopathic authoritarians endorse government-initiated force to change the world. Preach it, Ron. Preach it. Because that's what John the Baptist was saying. And they were coming out to him to get baptized. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ron went into the baptism business after this. <laughs> You know, I mean, he's saying it. You know, now that he's not running for political office, he may get even more outspoken than he was before. But psychopathic authoritarians, who's he talking about? That's the ones you elect. Even when the desired goals are well-intentioned, or especially when well-intentioned, the results are dismal. The end does not justify the means. The means destroys the ends. It turns them in a certain way. If you operate by force, you live by the sword. All you socialists live by the sword. You cannot be a socialist and a Christian at the same time. Write it down. The good results sought never materialize. The new problems created require even more government force as a solution. That's why you got more government force. And more and more and more. Because you haven't been the solution. You have been the problem. Either through apathy or directly desiring the government to provide you benefits at the point of a gun to your neighbor's head. That is not Christian. You have been listening to a false, lying, deceptive gospel. And you need to repent. The net result is institutionalizing government, initiated violence, and morally justifying it on humanitarian grounds. That's Paul talking. 
And I hope you can make the distinction when I'm reading. I read with a little bit different tone to my voice so you can make the, so I don't have to say quote, unquote, all the time. And we don't have verse and chapter to his speech. And I just, you know, copied over certain lines so that we could talk about this because I think it's very close to the kingdom. You know, churches today, 501c3 registered churches aren't supposed to talk about government. Of course, we don't advocate uh, politics in government and other governments. We see the churches exactly as it's defined, one form of government. It's not like other governments. It doesn't exercise authority one over the other. The church ministers are to be the benefactors of the people. That's where you should be going for your welfare. You should be eating at the table of the Lord, set by free will offerings. This is the way it was in the Old Testament. This is the way it was in the early church. And it's not the way it is today in your church. The only reason you donate to your church is to buy a bigger screen TV. Or fancier buildings. The church is people who love one another as Christ loved us. Who sacrificed themselves for one another. And most of the people in your churches don't want to do that. They just want to go there and feel good, be recharged and generated and pretend that emotionalism is spiritualism. That's a lie. It leads to the abomination. And you need to repent. John the Baptist did not come making you feel good. Ron Paul goes on to say this is the same fundamental reason our government uses force for invading other countries at will. Central economic planning at home and the regulation of personal liberties and habit of our citizens. That's why it does it. Because you do it. Because you want them to do it. You don't want them to do it to you. You just want them to do it to others because you don't love your neighbor as yourself. It is rather strange that unless one has a criminal mind and no respect for other people and their property, no one claims it is permissible to go into one's neighbor's house and tell them how to behave and what they can eat, smoke, and drink or how to spend their money or how much to give. I've added the last part to his speech. No one thinks they have that right to go into their neighbor's house and say, give me money. I want free education for my children. Hand it over. But every one of you are doing it as a matter of policy. John the Baptist wouldn't do that. Christ wouldn't do that. He wanted you to live by what? Faith, hope, and charity? That's not living by charity. That's living by force. And until John the Baptist, a lot of people thought that's the way you should do it. The Constitution established four federal crimes, according to Ron Paul. Today, the experts can even, can't even agree on how many federal crimes are now on the books. They number into the thousands. No one person can comprehend the enormity of the legal system, especially the tax codes. Due to the ill-advised drug wars 
and the endless federal expansion of the criminal code, we have over 6 million people under correctional suspension. More than the Soviets ever had. More than any other nation today, including China. I don't understand the complacency of the Congress and the willingness to continue their obsession with passing more federal laws. Mandatory sentencing laws associated with drug laws have compounded our prison problem. You see what's going on here? You say you're not under the law. But according to Ron Paul, the Federal Registry is now 75,000 pages. And the tax code is over 72,000 pages long. And then it's expanded every year. When will the people start shouting enough is enough? Well, the problem is the people are pigs. They can't get enough. They want more. They want more and more. And you are tied to those pigs because you've all been baptized at the same altar. You've all applied at the same table. In Proverbs, it tells you, if you sit and eat with a ruler, eat with a ruler, eat at his table with a ruler, and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat, for he serves you deceitful meats. Paul and David say that what should have been for your welfare becomes a snare. Are you setting the table of the Lord in your church, or do you just go there to feel good? In Romans 6.14, we see, For in shall not have, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. But you guys are under the law. You can't say there is another king, one Jesus. Because you went and elected, dear king. If you vote, you can't complain. You bet at the races. And you probably lost. Even if your candidate won, you will lose. You will lose. You think it, for a little bit of, you know, vanity, you will have all that you were promised. I've been watching candidates in country after country for years and years. You never get what you were promised. Actually, in some ways you do. I think uh, one of the presidents promised you change. You're going to get change. He didn't say what kind, but you didn't bother asking. You're going to get change. Is it change for good or change for the worse? You're not going to see fruit. You're going to see bad fruit. Romans 6.15 goes on to say, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. You have to remember that early Christians, because they were baptized, were cast out of the government systems of welfare of Judea. They did not run and join the government systems of welfare at Rome or Corinth or Ephesus. They had their own system based on faith, hope, and charity. This is why historians called them a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, an ever-increasing state. But it wasn't a state where the state was in the hands of the government. It was a state where the state was in the hands of the people. Not a democracy, but a true and pure republic. If you don't know what I mean by that, you need to go to our website and look that up. Because 
That's not what you have today. You you are in a democracy today. You're in a socialist democracy today. And the emphasis has moved from democracy to socialist. It's an indirect democracy, but that's what it is. And it was created inside of a republic, but that's not where you live anymore. You've gone whoring after the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority because you didn't care what happened to your neighbor, which is why you have people raped and robbed in the streets and nobody does anything about it. Now, some are doing something about it. Some want to do something about it. Some are righteous in their hearts. They are good people. And they are seeking righteousness. So now you need to get the baptism of Christ and come together in righteousness. Not because you have signed some contract, but because you actually care. If you actually care, you will take the time to network together so that you don't leave anybody behind. What if you lived in a town that you knew was about to be flooded? The dam was breaking. Would you all rush for the edge of the town and just run over each other and knock people down? And Or would you try to get organized and make sure that you didn't leave anybody behind in the orphanage? Make sure you didn't leave anybody behind that's an old person who was in a wheelchair and couldn't make it. Would you work together to make sure you got everybody out of town because you actually care about your neighbor as much as yourself? Well, if you're going to do that, you have to get organized. You have to pay attention. We had a congregation back in the in the uh, East Coast. It was kind of loosely organized, but they were trying. They were trying to figure out how it worked. The minister had to move all the way across the country. And they didn't pick another minister. They were kind of, one person had to also move to France. And so, you know, there was a lot of things that were kind of hard on that congregation. And they kind of got dispersed and disconnected. And then Big Sandy came. And we were checking. Our people were checking on each other, but they didn't have a viable congregation. It was five days till we found out that one of the people that used to be a part of that congregation got four feet of water in his house. And we had people checking on him. And people that were not yet even in a congregation drove and brought him things he needed. They bought him and brought things that he needed even though he wasn't a member of a congregation. Well, if we had been swamped and, and our congregations were just overwhelmed, we might not have ever got around to him. But, you know, we're so anxious to help one another that we actually went out of our way to help somebody who hadn't bothered to go out of his way to gather with us. And that's okay. It's good practice for us to be the FEMA of Christ. What is the theme of Christ? It's the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. It's not based on force. It's based on charity. It's not based on exercising authority. It's based on exercising love. It's based on caring about others. Now, those who don't want to work with us, they don't have to. They don't have to gather with us. But I think it's a good idea. But if they don't, that's okay. But we've created a network where you can gather together. We did not create a network so that you could try to get people to gather just with you. 
We created a network so that you could gather together in one accord with everybody. We can't take care of these. You know, at the same time all this was going on in the Sandy thing, there was a fire broke out in one of the nuclear plants there in New York. And they couldn't put the fire out. They notified FEMA and Homeland Security that they couldn't get the fire out. And they were scrambling to shut down the reactor because this is a Fukushima-type reactor. And that fire got out of hand, you'd have a Chernobyl's in Fukushima right there in New York. And then it wouldn't be about, about leaving home for a week or so until the water recited. It'd be like leaving home for the next half million years. Because you'd have nuclear waste going everywhere. So where are you going to evacuate to? I'm sure there's a FEMA camp somewhere that will take you in. So you're all set. Don't worry about it. The government's there to help. But for you guys who might want to go somewhere else, you better start networking now. You better start gathering together with other people who care and understand righteousness, who actually care about one another. We're going to keep following this speech of Ron Paul's because it's just full of biblical principles. And we're not trying to get him elected because he's done. He's had it. Now, till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We've been using... In this show, and we'll probably end up being in several shows because it was an extremely long speech, but we've been using Ron Paul's farewell speech as kind of a jumping off place to start studying what Christ, John the Baptist, all the prophets have been talking about from the beginning. They've been trying to set you free in spirit and truth. Why is liberty so important? Well, Ron talks about that, and we'll get into that later. But God gave you liberty. It's a gift of God. You were endowed by your Creator with certain inalienable rights. 
Now, a lot of people don't believe that anymore. They don't believe in God. They believe in evolution. They believe in science. They believe in government. And, and the fact is, you are linked with these people. You have contracted with these people. You have made agreements with these people. Someone called me this week about their partner. They were in business with somebody, and I know, knew them. I've known these people forever. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And they were in partner with somebody that they were having trouble with, and they wanted to ask me if they were being fair with that individual. And I have never met the individual, but I've heard a lot about them over the years, and I thought from the very beginning that they shouldn't be in partnership with that person because everything I was hearing was telling me that that person was a different kind of spirit. A different kind of individual looked at things differently, acted differently, decided things based on this other spirit. And so what they've been doing is diluting everything the one partner was doing. They've been breaking it down. They've been been undermining it in little ways. And now they were putting pressure on the business that would actually maybe cause a tremendous rift and strain in the business. They already had caused rifts with employees. But now they were really threatening the business. And I said, buy them out. In the long run, it'll be cheaper. They, they want more than their share is worth, but buy them out anyway. Whatever it costs, get rid of them. Because they will cost you more because they're diluting everything you're doing. They're undermining it in very subtle ways. You don't even see it happening. That's what's happened in America. That you have made agreements with unbelievers. Paul asked you, what agreement do you have with unbelievers? Well, you want me to list them off? Your education, your health care, everything. This is what you have with unbelievers. You know, people all up in arms about the health care thing. Well, the Amish aren't in that. They got an exemption. Why? Because they actually take care of one another. Do you know that's what the first century church did? It took care of one another. You got sick, where'd you go? You went to church. What does it say in the Bible about sick? Go to church. Go to your brothers. Doesn't mean you can't go to a doctor. Maybe you need to go to a doctor. Maybe you need to go to a nature path. Maybe you need to start eating right. You know, we talked about the fellow that we helped out in uh, uh, the big hurricane in New York who hadn't really worked at being a part of a congregation, kind of sloughed it off, but still, when the chips were down, we found them and we, we've been helping them. I think we got work crews headed there now, even. What, why, why do we do that? Well, that's what you should be doing. That's community. That's people caring about one another. You need to do that. But you need to do it in an organized fashion. You know, sinners can organize. How come you can't? You know, I raise sheep up out here in the desert. That's where I learned most of the stuff I know today is from the sheep. You know, God talking to me out there on the desert just like any other good shepherd. And one thing I know that if these sheep don't get together, if they don't come together, if they don't stay together... Coyotes and the bobcats and the mountain lions that just eat them up. One at a time. Maybe two, three at a time. But they have learned to stay together. It makes my job easier. 
But if I had to be a dictator and do this, I'd have to go and tie all those sheep together. When half of them went over a cliff, they'd all go over the cliff. When the coyotes come, they'd just be just sitting there eating one after another. Because they couldn't get anywhere. Because they all tied together and be tripping over each other. And they wouldn't know. They were just, you can't tie sheep together. It doesn't work. You can't tie people together either. It doesn't work. You know, I saw a cartoon the other day where it showed uh, a bear standing in a welfare line. The person in the welfare line says, oh, we're not allowed to feed the bears. It makes them dependent. And that's actually what they say. You know, if you go study in the forestry and, and fish and wildlife, they'll tell you that they don't want you feeding the bears because it makes them dependent. At the same time, we do it with people. But it really isn't welfare feeding the people. I mean, you got, what, 50 million people on food stamps, on their EBT cards? Now, see, if if you didn't have EBT cards, you had to do it like we did back in the 20s. You'd see 50 million people standing in food lines. And that'd be a great photo op. And you'd say, oh my gosh, this country is in trouble. We've got 50 million people in food lines. Oh, well, let's make them invisible. Let's just give them EBT cards. That's not sustainable. Financially, it's not sustainable. But worse than that, it destroys the fabric of society. It destroys the character of the people. First king that comes along wants to conquer Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to have any trouble. He's not going to have any trouble till he gets to those that are following the ways of Abraham. Unfortunately, he knows that. <laughs> Unfortunately for you. Because you're dragging your feet and going the ways of Abraham, Moses, John the Baptist, and Jesus Christ. You don't even know what way that is. Because your preachers are liars. Well, some of them have been lied to and they've been deceived to. And I have to give them an account. That, but when they hear the truth, stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Stop sending your people and your congregation to benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Because Jesus told you it was not to be that way with you. He didn't say you didn't have to organize, though. He said... Let the greatest amongst you be as servant to all. How do you do that? Exactly like the first century church did. They gathered together with ten, twelve families who picked a minister, who gathered together with other ministers like himself, and they picked a minister. And then before you knew it, they had a national, international network so that by 300 A.D., when Constantine started his own church, he sent out invitations to the church to over 1,200 known bishops. Those are the ones he knew about. 1,200 known bishops. Of course, they all came running right away, didn't they? No, they didn't. Small little tiny amount of them came. About 319. Some of them left before the meet was over. They were so disgusted with that guy sitting up there on a golden throne talking about Christianity as if he knew what it was. But they came out of curiosity. The next time they had a big meeting, they got 150 show up. Most of them weren't even real Christians. They weren't doing what Christ said. They were doing something completely different. 
And we talk about that in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, which you can download for free on the Internet. But let's not talk more. We left off with Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Well, in the Old Testament, there were ten laws. Ten laws. There were... There were about 700 statutes, but those statutes were to set up a precedent by which you were to decide whether or not somebody was breaking one of those ten laws or not. The statutes of Moses were more like administrative codes. Like if you go into the state of Oregon, you have the ORSs, Oregon Revised Statutes. Now, those are laws for people because they are under administrative law today. But originally, that's all they were, were administrative laws. But you don't even know what that means. But evidently, Ron Paul does, because he talks about that. And we'll get down to that in a moment. But they also have ORSs. Organ, oh, I said, excuse me. Uh, they have OARs. That's it. The ORSs are Oregon Revised Statutes. But the OARs are Oregon Administrative Rules. Now, those are just made up by some bureaucrat that's trying to help people understand the Oregon Revised Statutes. And they have to be in compliance with the Oregon Revised Statutes. Like, for instance, you know, if you go on jury duty, they're going to ask you to raise your right hand. Take an oath. Did you know there's no statutory oath required? None. None whatsoever. I once was called for jury duty and I didn't take the oath. I still picked for jury. <laughs> Everybody else stood up and raised their right hand and I sat down. And, you know, they don't require an oath. They just say, jump to the hoop. You jump to the hoop. You just make sure they're not holding it next to a cliff because you guys all just jump right through. Now, you probably get canned off the jury if they can figure out some way of doing it because they don't want you on there because you actually know what you're doing. But they don't hardly ever run into it because there's hardly anybody out there who knows what they're doing. <laughs> but that's a, that's a great story. Maybe we'll talk about that someday, about where all that led me because I was asking questions of a judge. It was a great conversation with the judge and, and the other people that he led me to. Because he was, he was actually impressed. I think he just, you know, he was interested in the law. And here was somebody who actually took their time to find out what it was all about. Now, I'll just tell you briefly is that in the, the Oregon, when you go on to Oregon jury duty, the Oregon Bar Association has written up a pamphlet on being a juror. And it says in there something to the effect of contrary to popular belief or contrary to what some people think is what it says. A jury does not have the right to decide the law, but only the facts. Well, I wrote the judge, because he said I could ask him questions anytime I wanted. I wrote the judge, and it says, Judge, you know, I read this in, in, here in this pamphlet, and I can't believe that the Oregon Bar Association would write something that would be totally incorrect. So I have to assume, since, and I quoted a few people like, you know, Thomas Jefferson and, Adams and a few other people like that who said that the right of a jury to decide fact and law was sacred. And I said, these aren't just some people. So, either 
since I, I didn't believe that the Oregon Bar Association could write something that was untrue, I said either the nature of the courts have changed from when Adams and Jefferson were around, or we waive our right by the taking of the oath. So the judge wrote back. He didn't write back and say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. No, a jury doesn't have the right to decide fact or uh, a law, but only facts. He wrote back, he says, I cannot tell you the answer. Now, I just heard from, I was just actually yesterday, I was talking to former district attorney of state of Oregon, uh, worked up in Portland. And he was telling me, a judge had quoted to him the same thing. I, when he asked, he says, is this a court of con- a constitution due process? The judge says, I cannot tell you. <laughs> he said, I, is that cannot? I, he didn't say I didn't know. He says, I can't tell you. <laughs> the same thing that judge wrote in the letter to me. I've got the letter still. But he says, he gave me the name and address and phone number of the court administrator. And said I could ask her in Salem. Well, he just answered my question. They're administrative courts. And the reason I I mentioned this little story, I was going to read you a couple other quotes about the law. Galatians 5.18, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Well, the truth is, these churches aren't Spirit-filled because if they were Spirit-filled, at least they're not Spirit-filled with the Holy Spirit, they would not be under the law. But they are under the law. They're under those 75,000 Federal Registry pages, not laws, 75,000 pages of laws, and uh, 72,000 pages of the tax codes. We haven't even got into the rest of the codes. U.S. codes, I mean, they're just, I mean, like Title 42, Section 666. What do you think that says? Do you know? Did your preachers tell you what Title 42, Section 666 says? It says you have to have the mark of the beast to get any kind of license, driver's license, business license, anything. Yeah, that's what it says. And that's why they put it in Section 666, I guess. But I won't, I won't read it exactly to you because that's not the subject of this show. You'll have to, you can go on our uh, online detailed study of the mark of the beast. They'll tell you. It's not a chip. Chip is a red herring. That's just all a bunch of hooey. And we show you. Step by step. Detailed study. Go and look at it. Hisholychurch.org. But anyway, Acts 22.25 says, And they bound him with thongs. Paul said unto the centurion that stood by... Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? What's he mean, a Roman and uncondemned? Well, we can tell you that too. Paul was not a Roman citizen. You got If you were a centurion, you were automatically a Roman citizen. And the head of the court comes in a little bit later and is shocked that Paul is this Roman. The word there is Romeos in the Greek. Romeos is the Greek word for whole. It means in possession of your rights. Not subject to administrative courts. 
actually still functioning with your natural rights at natural law and can only be judged by a law court, not an administrative court. That's what was going on in Rome. History is repeating itself. You're back in Rome again. I don't want to shake you up too much. Yeah, I do. I'm just teasing. I really want to shake you up bad. Oh, because I want to get you awake. I want to slap you silly till you get your eyes open and get your feet on the cold floor and start walking towards the kingdom instead of towards hell. Which is where you're going because you are condemned, because you aren't Rahul, you aren't Romeos, you aren't in possession of your rights. You're subjects. And the reason why is because your churches are not spirit-filled, at least not with the Holy Spirit, and you're not following in the ways of Christ. You are workers of iniquity. And your preachers aren't telling you the truth. Now, some of them are starting to. And some of you are waking up, and that's the good news, and that's really what I'm bringing you. But I have to tear down the old, the lie, expose it, take the scales off your eyes so that you see the truth. It's not going to be comfortable at first, but it gets better. We've got to shed some light on what's going on. And here's Ron Paul saying, quote, Citizens are guilty until proven innocent in the unconstitutional administrative courts. Unquote. Did you, let me read that to you again. Citizens are guilty until proven innocent in the unconstitutional administrative courts. Ron Paul. There he's saying it to you, right out, in open, in Congress. You're under administrative courts. You're not in law. When my father first became an attorney back in the early 50s, actually it was the late 40s, he spoke on the natural law. The head of the Texas Bar Association came up to him and said it was a great speech. He said, but never speak about the natural law to attorneys again. That was a piece of advice that he gave him. Because they're not interested in your inalienable rights. They're interested in the administrative courts. You don't have inalienable rights in an administrative court. You're under the law. So don't tell me you're not under the law. You're under thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of laws. And you're under them because you have made agreements with unbelievers. You have thought that it was okay to ask for benefits and eat at his table and eat and eat and eat at his table. You know, people are worried about socialism taking over America, taking over the world. Public schools is socialism. Mandatory support of fire departments is socialism. Mandatory support of a police department is socialism. You just want to draw the line and then you want to draw it back. But the fact is you're in an indirect democracy now. You're not in the republic. You're in an indirect democracy. I believe in the United States, a democracy within the republic. That's your creed. That's the official American creed. Been that way for almost a hundred years. Things have changed. You're still depending on the laurels of your great-great-great-grandfathers who you've already betrayed. Luke 20.22 says, 
Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? That was a trap question. They talk about that. But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Then he says, Show me the penny whose image is on the superscription. They answered and said, Caesar. He's already convicted them because according to their rule, the ones asking the question, you're not supposed to have these images. Now, I'm not saying worry about images and statues. I'm talking about principles. It says, then render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. You have to understand that money was loaned into circulation by Caesar himself. That's why his picture's on it. It was his money. It had to be paid back. And they were in a system that required it. But Christ created a new system. Anybody who got the baptism of Christ instead of the baptism of Herod was kicked out of their social welfare system. Day of Pentecost was a day of exodus for the Christians in spirit and truth. They had to go another way after that. They had to provide for their needs. He says there are two choices are available. This is Ron Paul. A government designed to protect liberty, a natural right, as its sole objective. The people are expected to care for themselves and reject the use of any force for interfering with another person's liberty. Government is given a strictly limited authority to enforce contracts, property ownership, settle disputes, and defend against foreign aggression. Now, that's his line, that second line. Now, I'm going to take that second line out and read the other one in a little bit. And then I'm going to tell you what the kingdom of heaven looks like. But he says the other choice you have is a government that pretends to protect liberty, but is granted power to arbitrarily use force over the people and foreign nations. Though the grant of power many times is meant to be small and limited, it inevitably metastasizes into an omnipotent political cancer. This is the problem for which the world has suffered throughout the ages. <laughs> that is true. Though meant to be limited, it nevertheless is a 100% sacrifice of the principle that would be tyrant find irresistible. It is used vigorously through incrementally, insidiously, though in, in, incrementally and insidiously. Granting power to government officials always proves the adage that power corrupts. We talk about this in the Saul Syndrome. We talk about this uh, over and over again when we talk about Samuel. The election of Samuel, the voice of the people elected Samuel to be their president, king, whatever you want to call him. Actually, commander-in-chief because he was to lead their armies. And they gave him power. And God said, you know, you can do that. Let them do that, Saul. I mean, uh, Samuel. Let Saul be their king, ruler. 
But know this, it's not that they've rejected you, Samuel, it's that they have already rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And that's what they were doing. And that's what you do when you do the same thing. It's the same principle. Government is given a strictly limited authority to enforce contracts, property ownership, settle disputes, and defend against foreign aggression. Wrong. Paul is wrong to include that in the first choice. The people were wrong to create and elect Saul to do that. They should not have done that. They didn't do it for 400 years and they weren't overrun. But almost immediately after doing that, they were fighting battles one after another and then they were finally divided and they went into captivity. They were already in captivity once they did that. And we explain that over and over again. We show you step by step how that happens. But God says, you know, what's going to happen? He's going to make his instruments of war. He's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take your first fruits of your labor. He's going to take the best of your fields. He's going to take and take and take and take and take. But you keep doing it. So that second sentence, or I guess it's the third sentence in his first description, should go down into the second one. Because he says that no matter how limited you want to create that power, it, it always leads to corruption. Now let's read his first sentence, the first choice. A government designed to protect liberty, which is a natural right, as its sole objective, the people are expected to care for themselves and reject the use of any force for interfering with another person's liberty. That's called the perfect law of liberty. That's what Paul is talking about. The government that Paul mentions here without that last line is the kingdom of God. That one form of government instituted by Christ. Christ established the church. It is defined in Black's Law Dictionary as one form of government. What kind of form of government it is? It's one that operates by the perfect law of liberty. Who then is going to enforce contracts, property ownership, settle disputes, defend against foreign aggression? You! You have to do it. You have to gather together. It was always in Israel, it was local militias. How did those militias suddenly come together? How could they muster these huge armies overnight? How could they do it? It's because they created a network of people who cared about each other. Now, most of the time, that caring about each other was just, you know, famine, disease, injury, uh, drought, you know, whatever it was, fire, flood. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes. They were gathered together in a faith emergency ministry auxiliary through their congregations of congregations in a living network of people all over the country that firmed up those bonds in their feasts and festivals. That's why they had them. They didn't have them because God needs you to see you have a party. You need to have it. You need to come together and work at creating that international network. Not just to feel good, but to make sure you do good to your neighbor and for your neighbor. And settle disputes. Don't go to the law. Go to church. Settle your disputes. 
defend one another against foreign aggression. What would foreign aggression be? Somebody sue you? That's not a part of the church? Whole church shows up in support. Whole church shows up in support. Why? Because that's part of the weightier matters. The weightier matters that Jesus listed off. And we'll talk about those weightier matters when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we'll see if you really want to seek the Kingdom of God and His righteousness or whether you want to do something else. Like choice number two, which is what you've been doing. And you need to repent of it. Till we meet again in a little bit. Peace. talking really quick here about some of these things. We won't get through this whole speech, this show, but we'll we'll address it again and again until we get all the way through it. And then we've got several other shows lined up for you that we're going to be uh, sharing with you. We, the, the Kingdom of God is a vast topic and it should affect every aspect of your life. Instead, other governments are affecting every aspect of your life and they're actually doing it in a negative way. Paul Ron Paul writes, once government gets a limited concession for the use of force to mold people's habits and plan the economy, it causes a steady move toward tyrannical government. And the truth is, that's exactly what it talks about in Deuteronomy 17, which is why Moses advised you against a king. But he said, if you do get a king, you know, you got to put these things down in a written document. We call them constitutions. And he lists off numerous things that you should put down in that document. Otherwise, you're going to be under that tyrannical government eventually. Samuel talks about it too. Warns you about it. It's all in the Bible because the Bible is about government. I'm sorry. That's what it's about. You think it's about the dead. No, it's about the living. Because if you don't get it right here, you're not going to get it right in heaven. And you're not even going to be in heaven. Whatever heaven is, you got all these ideas in your head. Oh, heaven's this and, you know, it's all beautiful and everything is great. There was a war in heaven once, according to the same book. So, I guess it's not always, you know, from what I get, from the pictures I see, you know, I've got a chapter in the book, Covenants of the Gods, on heaven versus heaven. Because we have this image of heaven. According to heaven, there's the stairways where the angels are going up and down all the time because they got to do work. And they're busy, but they don't mind it. They like it. They like their work. They are good servants. But somehow or other, we get this idea that heaven's some kind of gigantic retirement community where we all go to sit around in gowns and playing harps. Not, it's not, you know, not going to be all happy if that's what you think it is. You're going to get bored really quick. 
is, oh, we'll be in the presence of God. And I, I tell you, most of you, if you were in the presence of God, it would seem like hell. Because you would have to see yourselves as you really are. And that's not pretty. So you better start seeing yourself as you really are now. Start changing. Start turning around. Because he's going to probably say, get you from me. And he won't have to say it twice because you'll be running. Because he's a lot different than you've been told. He does love you. and he want, But if he living in you, then you're going to love one another. You're not going to be taking from your neighbors so that you can be comfortable. You're going to be going out of your way to make sure that your neighbor is helping. What is he talking about, the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan was walking along and he pulled out his cell phone and he dialed 911. No, that's not the parable. He actually took money out of his pocket. He actually put the man on his donkey. He actually helped and bandaged up his wounds himself. Oh, but you wouldn't want to get involved. You call 911. And 911's going to show up because somebody else has already showed up in your neighbor's house and said, time to contribute. Now, in the church, you could call the church. If you didn't think you were capable of handling your church, but he, Jesus in that parable has already told you the church just walked right by him, which is what the church does today. Oh, it's not our business. We're just supposed to have a, a song meet down here at the local building. We, a really nice building. You should see it. We got carpet in it now. Are you guys absolutely confused and bewildered? What do you think John the Baptist was doing out in the desert? Instead of in the fancy church cathedrals with the big screen TVs, which they would have had if they had invented them, with the gold and the and the big huge statues and or, you know columns and and all this stuff, he didn't have anything to do with that because that's not where it's at and it's not where it's at today. You need to repent. You need to turn around. I dropped my mouse. <laughs> Anyway, uh, only, uh, he, he, Paul goes on to say, only a revolutionary spirit can reverse the process and deny the government this arbitrary use of aggression. There's no in-between. Sacrificing a little liberty for imaginary safety always ends badly. Now, that re revolutionary spirit, you want to know what that is? That's Christ. It doesn't mean, you know, go get a gun and start shooting somebody. Absolutely not. It means you change. You turn around. You stop molesting your neighbors so that you can have free education for your boys or your girls. Or just a babysitter. Or health care. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of the governments that exercise authority one over the other. Today's mess, he goes on to say, is a result of American accepting option two, even though the founders attempted to give us option one. Well, the founders were in error because they had that second sentence there. Government is given the strictly limited authority. Should not have done that. That's why Patrick Henry and most Americans were in opposition to the Constitution. Did you know that? Most Americans were in opposition to the Constitution. They could have never got it ratified had it been put to a popular vote. And when it was ratified, it was ratified illegally. And all good historians agree on that. That's not some, you know, you know, 
thing that's been kept a secret. You can find that Clark's Summary of U.S. American Law, one of the most fundamental law books out there. Used today, used when my father was studying law way back in Creighton University in the, just after World War II. Yeah, the Constitution was not legally ratified. But it exists because people have made agreements, signed up, and acquiesced. And it's there. And it's changing. And it's doing exactly what Samuel said it would do. You've all become human resources. You're back in bondage again. You're back entangled again with the elements of the world, the constitutional order and system of government that men make for themselves, contrary to the ways of God. Patrick Henry said, this document was written as if good men would take office. When bad men take office, they will steal your rights to ambuscade. And that's exactly what's happened. If you want to know more about that, read Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, which we give away for free on the Internet. Why do we give it away? Why aren't we selling it? Because we're not a commercial enterprise. We operate by the perfect law of liberty. We're the church. We don't sell tickets on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll come preach in your church. We'll show you. You can, But, you know, we're not going to carry you into the kingdom. You're going to have to walk on your own two feet. You can't walk. Maybe we'll heal you. So you can get up and walk into the kingdom. But if we don't heal your heart, why should we heal anything else? Americans now suffer from culture of violence. It's easy to reject the initiation of violence against one's neighbor. It's easy to reject the initiation of violence against one's neighbor, but it's ironic that people's arbitrarily that people arbitrarily and freely anoint government officials with a monopoly power to initiate violence against the American people practically at will. I love the fact he used the word anoint government officials. You know what the word Christ means? It means anoint. When you give power to government to do things for you, you're anointing them. You're making them Christ. You're looking to them. You're praying to them. Application is prayer. Prayer is application. You don't pray to God. You pray to the God's many that Paul warned you about. You've accepted option two. You've rejected God. You remember when they elected Saul, it was called a rejection of God. Paul goes on to say, because it's the government that initiates force, most people accept it as if being legitimate. Oh, why? Because of Romans 13. And we explain Romans 13 too. You can't get out with Romans 13. As a matter of fact, Romans 13 is the exact opposite of what your preachers are telling you. We've recently uploaded programs that we had with uh, Timothy Baldwin, son of Chuck Baldwin wrote a book on Romans 13, and, and a lot of what he has in his book and the, the quotes uh, of Pufendorf and all the different people are great. But he missed a very simple thing. It's not complicated. The word power there means liberty, the right to choose, the power to choose. That's what it means. That's its definition. You look in Strong's, you look in Thayer's, 
Ask Aristotle. Ask uh, any of these uh, ancient Greek philosophers. Look at how it's used. It's translated liberty in the Bible. If that's the truth, and it is verifiable, we have a whole book on it now, Higher Liberty. You can get that for free too on the internet. Paul said, let every man remain subject to the original higher right to choose. The original liberty granted by God. Because all liberty is of God. And there is no liberty but of God. And anyone who opposes that liberty opposes God. That's what Paul said. Anybody reading it at the time would understand that that's what Paul was saying. You can't believe that you've been deceived. That's pride. You've been deceived. You've been lied to. And you're spreading the lie. If you're a minister, stop saying that. It's not true. Look it up. Just, I mean, you must have a Strong's Earth there somewhere. You can look it up online. The word means the right to choose. That's what it meant at that time. It was the strongest word in the Greek language for liberty. Stronger than even eleutheria, which is the common word you see translated liberty. It means the absolute right to choose. We're talking inalienable rights, natural rights, and the rights endowed by God. That's what you should be subject to. That doesn't mean you get to do anything you want. You can do anything you want, but you will suffer the repercussions of it. You can smoke if you want, but you're going to suffer the repercussions of it. You can overeat if you want. You can sit and eat with a ruler if you want. But if you do, you will suffer the repercussions of doing so. You will go into bondage. Though they promise you liberty, they will deliver you into bondage. They will make merchandise of you because you have coveted your neighbor's goods to their power and their power to exercise authority. Their power? Do they have power? Yes, they have the right to choose for you. Why? Because you gave it to them. Because you made covenants with them. Which you were told not to make covenants with them, the inhabitants, with the their gods, their ruling judges. Their gods many. And you have. You made all kinds of agreements. Paul warns you. Moses warns you. Abraham warns you. God warns you over and over again, but you've been doing it. Because you haven't been going the ways of God. This is why John the Baptist is saying, make straight the way of the Lord. And it's funny, you know, this Ron Paul guy, he's, he's hitting it. Very close. A few little things I would fix, but you're anointing government. God didn't create government. You did. Don't blame that on God. You did through apathy or avarice, through overt actions or through lack of actions. Because, and the fact is, we don't want to stop government. Most of you need government. Governments are there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? The ones who started it. I mean, when the voice of the people elected Saul, they were the wicked. They were rejecting God. That's wicked, isn't it? They were allowed to be wicked, but they were told what's going to happen. And all those things that they were told was going to happen to them has happened to you. Why? Because you're the wicked. Now, accept that. Set your pride aside. Accept that. Now you can do something about it. 
You, you can change. You can turn around. You can go the other way. How do you do that? Gather together. Do not forsake the gathering together. Not just in your little local group to make yourself feel good, but in a network of people who actually care. So that when the nuclear power plant down the street goes haywire, somebody cares on the other side of the country where the air is clean. And they'll accept you. When there's an invading force or a hurricane or a tornado or the New Madrid fault shakes the Midwest loose, You've got somebody who will take you in somewhere else. Start building the trust of that network so they'll say, Hey, yeah, I want to take you in. Start building the relationships necessary so people will go out of their way. They'll actually send people to get you to bring you home safely to another safer place. Because they care about you. I don't know who... FEMA's going to get for their truck drivers. But they're not there because they love you. They're there because there's a paycheck in it. So which one is going to risk his life to save you? Hey, now you're getting the picture. You have to start investing in the kingdom of God. Where thieves and robbers can't break in and steal it because you're investing in real people. Investing in real relationships, not emotional relationships of I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. I'll make you feel good. I'll say you're saved if you'll say I'm saved. I'll dance around and get you all emotionally worked up so you think that the power of the Holy Spirit has descended upon you. If you'll do the same for me. No, that isn't where it's at. Real relationships. Where people will, in the stillness of their heart, risk their lives to save your life. Because they care about your life as much as they care about their own. I can get boring at times. You know, sitting around waiting for somebody. You know, I I was a firefighter at one time for uh, forestry. I studied forestry for years in Minnesota. And... uh, that's pretty boring. So I would always go out and do other jobs and they'd just call me on the radio and just help because I was the first one to find the fire because I was out working. I remember calling in the big fire that we were on and I called in the fire and I said, yeah, there's smoke coming up in about seven fronts here uh, all the way across. <laughs> and I heard this crashing noise. It was furniture falling over. Everybody was running. Everybody had been sitting around in the office Pushing papers, not even pushing papers, probably just drinking coffee. And then all of a sudden there was something to do. And then, of course, they tell you, oh, you're not supposed to do anything till we get there. Well, forget it. I'm already here. We did that once out here in Oregon. I was building trail and we stumbled on a fire and we called it in. It was actually started by a Forest Service employee who wanted more overtime. I thought that was interesting. But uh, we didn't know that at the time. We just saw this flame starting up. And we called it in and they told us not to do anything. Couldn't fight the fire till a specialist got on site. I says, well, it's a little tiny thing. We can put it out. We can stamp it out with our feet right now. But uh, uh, they said, no, we weren't supposed to fight the fire until they got an official there. Be almost 45 minutes before the official showed up. The fire would have been in the trees by then. So we were trail builders. So we went out and we built the trail around the fire. <laughs> 
<laughs> we just dug out all the brush and said, we're going to build this trail around that. They'll need a trail when they get here. <laughs> we were all laughing about it, but we had the trail there. And the funny thing, the fire didn't jump across the trail. So we told them, and they got mad at us because we'd stopped the fire. Because it has to evidently get over a certain size or they don't get hazard pay. <laughs> and it didn't get big enough. So they were all upset with us. They didn't say that's why, but I put it together later on. I says, well, we weren't fighting the fire. We were building trail. <laughs> so anyway, so much for bureaucracy. Little side story. I gotta give you a little bit of a breather because I'm just beating you to death with the truth and a lot of you aren't used to the truth. You're used to going to church. You don't get the truth in the churches anymore. You get this watered down mamby pamby gospel where nobody's men of action anymore. Nobody cares about anybody else but themselves unless you make me feel good. I don't care about you. I want people who makes me feel good. I want people who make me feel righteous. Well, you're not going to get that here. I'm going to make you feel lousy. But I'll tell you how you can start being righteous. You can actually start really caring about other people instead of what you feel. And then you won't have to worry about what you feel because you'll be what you should be. You know, people who need to feel a certain way, they need to feel that way because they aren't that way. <laughs> that's, that's really that simple. Anyway, he goes on to say, after this anointing government officials, he says, because it's the government that initiation force most people accept it as being legitimate. Those who exert the force have no sense of guilt. They've been anointed. Why should they? We're the government and you're not. We're in charge and you're not. We've been getting their drunk on power is what it is. It is believed by too many that governments are morally justified in initiating force supposedly to do good. What's happened in this country is there's no hue and cry. Nobody goes out and stands against iniquity. Oh, it's not my job. Besides, I'll miss my program. Oh, I can't go. My neighbor's being robbed of his property. That happened up here in Prineville. A judge was actually stealing a guy's property. Stealing outright. I can tell you the whole story. It take too long. But he was actually literally legally stealing the guy's property. Court clerks knew it. He knew it. Other people knew it. Nobody came to the guy's aid. He couldn't afford to hire a lawyer anymore. He was exhausted at this battle. And he just let the property go. And the judge got it. I've been within inches of the judge. He's still up there. He's one of your ruling judges. He's one of those gods sitting in the benches. Did you know that? That the word God, Elohim, in the Old Testament, Theos in the New Testament, are the words that were used to address judges in courts of law before and after and at the time of Christ. The words being ruling judge. So now you know who the gods many are. And why are they the gods? Because they're the heads of administrative courts. Why are they the heads of administrative courts? Because you've been eating at their tables with great appetite. You're the swine that Christ talks about. But we can turn you into humans. Or is this, this better, better term? We can turn you into men and women. If you will repent and turn around 
from your slothful ways. You know, it says in the Bible, the slothful shall be under tribute. You're under tribute. You've been slothful. I'm saying stop being slothful. Turn around. Make straight the way of the Lord. Start doing what He said. Start doing what the early church did. Forget about your modern church. They haven't got a clue. It was said by the U.S. Secretary of State that the loss of 500,000 Iraqis during the 1990 war, mostly children, mostly children, 500, half a million Iraqis, mostly children, in the 1990 war, as a result of the Americans' bombs and sanctions, was, quote, worth it. To achieve the good we brought to Iraqi people. Have you looked at Iraq lately? Wrecked apart by war. Thousands, thousands dead. Murdered, killed. They were better off with a tyrant than they were with the U.S. I'm sorry, folks. That's what you've done. Your apathy has done this. Your anointing has done this. You have sown the wind. And when you reap the whirlwind, don't wonder where it's coming from. You know, in that speech in Samuel, he says at the end, and we'll have to finish this another time, but in the speech at the end, he says, after you've chosen your leader who can exercise authority one over the other, he says, go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen for yourself, because he is not going to hear you in that day. That's where you're at. Repent. Join us. Turn around. Let's go back to Christ. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.